Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Rustrock. I'm here with a special guest to help with May being National Mental Health Awareness Month. Stephen Howard, thank you. Good morning, Melissa. Nice to be with you. Now, as we have a lot of mental health issues and we try to target these during the month of May, you work with dementia and Alzheimer's, correct? I don't work with it. I've written a book about it and how it applies to decision-making, both in professional and personal lives, but I'm not a doctor. I don't work in the medical field. You're an author. Authors sometimes do more research, I think, than doctors. (laughs) Well, we probably have more time on our hands than doctors do, particularly right now. Very true. So what prompted you to write this book? Well, I was living overseas, and my father started having some early-stage Alzheimer's, so I came back to look after him, and as it got progressively worse, I decided to research how I could be a better caregiver for him. And then in his last few months, it started to hit me that um, maybe I need to think about it for myself. I wanted to see if there was a um, uh, DNA component to it or genetic component to it, and the more I researched it, I realized it's really more of a lifestyle Uh, component, even though there is some DNA and genetic aspects to it. But many doctors are now calling Alzheimer's disease um, diabetes type 3. So it's uh, something I want to learn for myself, and then I decide I really need to share it with other people. Okay, so if this is being compared to diabetes, Mm -hmm. how can people start now to prepare for the future so we don't go downhill when we get older? Well, and that's, that's the key thing is to start now. There's an old Chinese proverb that says the best time to tr- uh, plant a tree is 100 years ago and the second best time is yesterday. And I use the same phrase about brain health. The best time to start thinking about your brain health is in your 30s and 40s. And the second best time is today, no matter what your age is. Um, I, a couple things about this. Um, obesity. Obesity directly impacts brain health. In fact, uh, obesity in midlife, uh, midlife being defined as your 40s and 50s uh, accelerates brain age by approximately 10 years, according to some research studies. So, you know, if, you, if somebody is, is obese at the age of 50 or 55, effectively they have a brain that is uh, similar to a 60 to 65-year-old. So um, weight, weight and blood pressure are probably the two greatest things people need to work on first. Okay. Well, we always talk about health and wellness, because this is a big thing right now with viruses, wonderful for getting people to recognize health and wellness. Um, what can we do? Obesity, um, we do talk about blood pressure. Is there anything that you see within your book, within your studies, that is myth that you discovered versus actual science? Well, the science discovered the, some direct links between um, obesity, stress, uh, high blood pressure, um, a sedentary lifestyle. So it's the opposite of all those things is what we need to do, um, partake in physical activity, uh, stay socially active. That's one of the things my father didn't do in his latter years, um, and you know, particularly people who have retired and, and um particularly people who are introverted by nature who tend to want to read or watch television or things of that nature, need to stay socially active and particularly outside family members. Um, managing our stress levels. 
using um, some mindfulness practices or purposeful breathing um, practices can help reduce stress, uh, and that will also help uh, our long-term brain health. And then, you know, the, the basic things, uh, sufficient sleep, the brain needs to reset itself every night, and eating healthy. So basically what's good for the heart is good for the brain. There we go. I mean, it's nice and simple when we put it this way, but at the same time, a lot of people still don't get it. No, they don't. I think, and, and part of it is, in honesty, is only about the last 15 or 20 years have scientists been able to really measure the brain and, and observe the brain in action and, and, and be able to relate these things to brain. I mean, we've been hearing about heart health since the, I guess, the 70s. I don't know, whenever the big jogging movement started or aerobic fitness started in the 70s or the 80s. But it's only now that they've been able to correlate this with our brain health. And it, surprisingly, because the brain is the biggest user of oxygen and the biggest user of blood of all of our organs. So again, like I said, what's good for the heart is, is, is by definition, is good for the brain. But we just haven't been taught that. Uh, people well, thought that. Not, yeah, sorry, we, go ahead. Science hasn't caught up to talking about it yet. No, no, it hasn't. It, it's just it's just starting to. Um, and very interestingly, even I think um, I mean go back centuries ago. I think uh, the Buddhists and and uh, with the meditation practices were well were well aware of this. Um, and only recently have they started um, measuring the, the brain waves of people who are long-term meditators and realizing what healthy brains they have compared to the rest of us who live under stress and, and uh, currently shelter in place and high levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now our anxiety is through the roof. So our mind is starting to place tricks on us. We talk about mental health constantly, especially right now during when you're locked down and you can't do anything. Your mind starts to play tricks on you. So now your stress level's up, so in 10 years, it's going to affect, affect you more. It, it absolutely is. And even before this pandemic, um, estimates were that we would have a 67% increase in dementia, Alzheimer's, and stroke by the year 2030. So by the end of this decade, it was already projected that we'd have 10 million people in the U.S. suffering from Alzheimer's, dementia, and stroke, and about 76 million worldwide. And I would advocate that those numbers are, are definitely going to jump just based on what you just said. Um, this, mm-hmm. this is not a good situation for us. No, it's not. We have, based on science, we're looking at astronomical jump in Alzheimer's. Then you add the pandemic, and you're stuck in your house under stress for two to three months right now. I mean, I've been homebound pretty much since January because mm-hmm. I, I panic. So I'm okay. one of those people. So it's going to jump in about 10 to 20 years. Absolutely, absolutely, and and even even today we're starting. Mean, one of the thing about prolonged stress, what you're describing, two to three months or longer of shelter in place, of of not being able to socialize, um, of um, and not being able to go out, and in some cases not even being able to exercise. I mean, you know, shutting down the pools, for instance, and not allowing people to swim um, where I live and where it's 100 degrees today um, is just causing all kinds of stress. Prolonged stress causes a degeneration 
concentration in, in the part of the brain that's responsible for self-control. So already we're reading about increased alcohol abuse, uh, increased binge eating, and very unfortunately increased domestic abuse, whether that's mm-hmm. spousal abuse, uh, abuse of children, uh, abuse of, of elderly. Um, all that's happening right now, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's only going to increase the longer we have to go through this current situation. Correct. That was the one fear was when this all shelter in place started was, okay, you have the stress on the domestic abuse because now you're making a bad situation twice as worse Uh and no one's going to be able to do anything because how many people, because this is a mental thing, when they're being abused, you don't call out for help. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and it, it, it is only going to get worse. And, and, uh, and you add to that the, the, the availability of alcohol. I mean, I, w- I was in Mexico City the last six weeks, and interestingly, um, they've shut down beer production in Mexico, so they're starting to run out of beer. And, and for a few days at a time, they're shutting down liquor sales uh, in some parts of the country. And I think you know, in some ways that may make sense because if people, if people are in these bad situations and then have access to excessive amounts of, of alcohol and the time on their hands to start drinking at any hour of the day, absolutely, it's, it's only going to get worse. And we're, we're going to pay for it as a society, short-term and long-term. Yeah, oh, yes. That, that was the one thing I was worried about because I worry about abstract things. I don't worry about the, okay, this is affecting my life. How is this going to affect society? And there's so many faucets in society. You have your elderly. I live with an elderly woman. My grandmother, love her to death. (laughs) But it's also, hey, she needs to be out. Well, do I get her out to socialize or do something that's not just sitting in the house? Exactly. Exactly. And, and another part of that from a society standpoint, I mean, once we get out of this shelter in place, I mean, e- even before this, um, in, in my book, I talk about 10% of adults age 60 to 69 are already parental caregivers. And as are 12% of us uh, age 70 plus, mm-hmm. as we're all living longer, <clears throat> excuse me, as we're all living longer, more and more children are going to have to take care of their parents. Now, imagine, as you say, 10 years from now, more people are elderly, more children having to take care of their parents, and those parents are the ones who are going to be impacted by today's high stress levels and high anxiety levels. Uh, it, we're, we're setting ourselves up for some huge societal issues in the next 10 to 15 years. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, okay, I'm the caregiver to my grandmother. My mom's also here, so technically I am her caregiver, but we both take care of Grandma. Right. So in 10 years, I'm already seeing, okay, short-term effects on my mother with the stress level. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing short-term effects on the brain with my grandmother. I'm like, in 10 years, this is going to be a nightmare for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I empathize with you, and I totally agree in, in, in what's and I understand that right now, you know, the emphasis from our 
our so-called political leaders is on economic rebounding, but at some point we need to find some leadership in this country that takes these issues into consideration and starts thinking about some long-term solutions for this. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm very pleased that you're helping to spread that message and, and uh, hope others can spread the, that, those, these messages to our, our political leaders at, at both the state and the federal level. Well, I hope that someone, a politician out there, has actually listened to this because mental health, whether it be Alzheimer's, depression, abuse, whatever the problem is, it needs to be openly discussed. We have a whole month dedicated to this, but at the same time, no one's actually doing anything. But here, here's a blue pill. Go take it. Oh, and I think that's part of the issue. I think part of the Mental Health Awareness um, Month is all about treatment of mental health rather than prevention of bad mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I hate to say that I'm a skeptic about this, but you know, by 2030, um, Alzheimer's and dementia and stroke are projected to be a $1 trillion industry, and that's for the treatment of those diseases. Now, the pharmaceutical companies, if there's a trillion-dollar market out there, there's not a big incentive right now for them to be developing stuff that prevents or re- reduces the risk of Alzheimer's and, and stroke and dementia. And you know, like I said, I'm a, a bit of a skeptic about this, but I think that's one of our issues as well. There's, there's this huge pot of gold that's going to mm-hmm. be a trillion-dollar industry. Uh, as, as you say, everyone's going to be taking little pills to manage Alzheimer's and dementia, whereas it'd be much better if we're taking pills or actually don't take pills. Go out and exercise, uh, eat healthy, reduce your stress, reduce, keep your blood pressure under control now, and you won't be having to take these little pills in the year 2030. Right. Take your vitamins now. Take uh, yeah. all natural supplements now. So in Absolutely. 30 years, 15 years, whatever it is, that you don't need a little blue pill from the pharmaceutical company. Absolutely. And, 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 and look, we're not talking – people don't need to run marathons or half marathons. I mean, 20 to 30 minutes of daily aerobic exercise, just basic walking, improves overall cognitive function. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the other thing, the, the brain likes new information. One of the things I've been teaching people in my classrooms is, is um, you know, everyone gets into habits. And we, when we were going to work and when we go back driving to our office, everyone drives the same route every day to their office and the same route home unless something comes up, they you know, go into the social meeting or you know, going grocery shopping or something on the way home. But for the brain, that's boring. So what I encourage people is, is you know, drive one route one week and the next week take a different route, even if it takes you five more minutes, uh, and just see what you see. The brain likes new information. You're going to see a, you know, new stores open over here, a new construction over here, a new housing estate over there, and and this is what we need to do to our brain. If 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 people go and walk in their neighborhood, they walk the same around the same streets. And I say, hey, one week do that, and the next week find a different neighborhood to walk in or walk in different streets. Notice who's painted their house. Notice who's got flowers growing. This is what the brain needs is new information. See, when I was recovering from my stroke back in 2011, I was 28 years old and I had two strokes. So it does happen. But mm-hmm. my therapist, she said the best thing to do is play mind games. I'm 28 years old. I have one hand I can use a mouse. Great. So hidden objects, games, uh, mm-hmm. Sudoku, um, just mind games that you can get on your phone, your apps, whatever, that helps build synopsis. 
It does. It does. And, and particularly if you change it over, if you, if you only did Sudoku, and I think the beauty of what you just said was you, you did different things. If you only had done Sudoku after you know, three or four months, all you would be doing for your brain is getting better at Sudoku, and, it's, and now you're not building new synapses necessarily. But by changing, doing, doing a game here, doing Sudoku, go do a crossword puzzle. If you want to learn a language or a music instrument, just keep giving that brain new information, new things to learn, and that's how you grow those synapses. Exactly. I think the growth after my personal development growth, learning mm -hmm. new languages, so, uh, puzzle solving, stuff like this, problem solving, was much better because I started when, within a month of me having a stroke, I started doing all these games, all these learning exercises because I had to. So I was mm -hmm. picking up things more right after the stroke. And then I just built from there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, and, and, and that, um, you know, fortunately, you had a good therapist who understood that. Um, there's another app I would recommend to your listeners um, that I use. It's called IM. It's two words, I and then M, A-M. And you can, it has a set of messages that it will, it will send you as many times a day as you want, or you can program your own messages, customize it. So I have it send me seven times a day. I get this little message on my phone that says, are you mindful, two words, or mindful, one word. And whatever I'm doing, when that pops up and my, when I notice it, I just stop and think, am I totally focused on what I'm doing or do I have monkey brain, busy brain? And if I have that busy brain trying to multitask, trying to do too many things, that little app reminds me, okay, stop, Stephen, slow down, now focus on what's important, get everything else out of the way, and now become mindful as one word rather than mindful as two words. Right. It's we have to train our brains, and I have talked to therapists. I have talked to my grandmother has a couple home health nurses. What we can do to help stimulate her right now. Mm. Reading is a great way to stimulate the brain if you're not reading the same book over and over and over. Yes. You have to read different things. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then in in your grandmother's case also, and I and 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 I'm sure you're doing this, but it, um, it, the socialization aspect. Talk to her about the book. Talk to her about what she read. What did she enjoy about the book? What did she learn? What did she find fascinating? Uh, you know, whether it was a character. If she's reading fiction, it could be the characters, or the you know, if it's historical fiction, she learned something about that time. But and and this is what I would encourage others once we get out of this shelter-in-place thing is, you know, grandma read the book and then go talk to her friends about the book or several friends read the book and they all discuss it. Um, it it's that reflection aspect of reading as well as the reading, which is very good for them. Mm -hmm. It's called book clubs. We have this for the younger generations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say younger as in 60 under. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much what the elderly need right now is a book club for the elderly, but it's the family members that need to be the book club for the elderly. They, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Although I would be, I would, it would be fun to start a book club for the elderly using Zoom or Skype <laughs> and just see how they, how they deal with the technology of, of a, a Zoom call or a, a, a Skype video call. <laughs> that would be awesome. Have a yeah, the house party app that kids use right now for doing prom at home. 
It's yeah. wonderful. So we get the app for the elderly so they can have a book club. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and that's one of our problems with society. We don't think of that. And, and you know, the first thing I heard about after this pandemic, the first thing I heard people using Zoom personally for was Friday happy hours. They get all their friends together, and then they, they sit and have their, have their drinks and talk to their friends on Zoom. And I'm going, okay, well, that's nice. That's socialization. That, that's, that's, that's good. But mm-hmm. couldn't you turn that into more of an educational aspect or something for your brain rather than just sitting around having, having a few drinks and and if you laugh and, and complaining about the world. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm very into mindfulness and self-motivation stuff. If you listen to some of my other podcasts, it's you have to train yourself to do something motivational, to train your brain, to train your health, to train anything positive. Because if you're just sitting there with your friends on Zoom doing – complaining about the weather what are you doing you're putting negative energy in there what are you doing with negative energy telling your brain everything's negative absolutely you you know where i think the most negative energy is in the world right now facebook everyone's on facebook complaining about something are they complaining about politicians they're complaining about the lockdown issues they're complaining that people aren't wearing masks i mean i've actually turned facebook off quite frankly i've just found i've just found it soaking up too much of my positive energy and and generating too much negative energy yes i've actually learned how to learn instagram just for the sheer fact you don't have the negativity of facebook and it's all pictures Oh, nice. Uh, maybe I'll switch over. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can find 2,000 books to read within 30 seconds. Okay. I can find new, new ways to train my mind. If I Google um, on Instagram, I don't know, Instagram search, or I don't know the proper terminology, but I can find all this positive stuff, and I'm not seeing a negative of Facebook. Well, I think you just convinced me to open up an Instagram account. And that's where this show actually airs as well, so that's always a positive thing. But at the same time, it's a little bit more social interaction because you have a picture, and most of the comments on that picture is positive. Mm, good. So I'm getting yeah, well. the social, social interaction within 30 seconds that I can't find on Facebook because it's all negative stuff yeah yeah i understand that okay so, well i'll have to have to join instagram now <laughs> there's so many platforms out there for social interaction via the computer it's tedious but at the same time it can be fun for a few moments if you yeah Spending eight hours on Instagram, it's going to get worn really quickly, and your mind's just going to be everywhere. But that, <laughs> yeah, where, where it needs to be, absolutely, absolutely. So, other than this one book, what else have you written? Oh well, I'm, uh, I'm I've written twenty twenty books altogether, all nonfiction, um, mostly on marketing, leadership, professional development. And I've also written nine books under a pseudonym on personal development. 
Uh, it's under the, the uh, pseudonym is Project U. So it looks as it looks as personal development as we look in the workplace, like project project work, project development. So it's called Project U, and there's nine books in that series. So you have all these books out. Where can the listeners find you? Everything's on Amazon. Uh, most of them are in both paperback and Kindle. Some of the older books are not in Kindle, um, but more, all the recent books, um, the leadership books, um, and the professional and, and personal development books are in both Kindle format and uh, paperback. Awesome. And do you have a website or anywhere that um, listeners can connect with you directly? Yeah, they should connect with me uh, through my, my business website because when I'm not writing, I'm teaching leadership programs. So I have a website, is calienteleadership.com. So it's caliente, the Spanish word for hot, which is C-A-L-I-E-N-T-E, leadership.com. And the reason it's caliente leadership is the second definition of caliente is passionate. So conversation, Caliente, is a passionate conversation, and I'm very passionate about leadership. And I blog about these issues, these issues, particularly this month, the whole month of uh, May, I'll be blogging about mental health issues, um, you know, taking excerpts from the book and, and sharing other stuff that I've come across. So there's a blog on the website as well. And um, my email address and phone number are on the website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I wish we had more time to talk. But... Thank you. This was a stimulating conversation and one that's much needed to be talked about with our politicians. Well, thank you, thank you very much. And if we want to have a, call, a conversation just about politicians, let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you again. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend.